today on the show? When you're fighting for things like food and shelter, you might do something that's out of character. In this case, for me, it was in the real estate world. Welcome to the Not Another Real Estate Investing Podcast. Excited this week to welcome Jay Massey onto the program. Jay is a full-time real estate investor, an entrepreneur. He hosts a popular podcast, and we're going to talk a lot about his business over the next 30 minutes or so. But I think the really important and more compelling part of his biography is how he raised himself and his family out of poverty using some pretty simple real estate investing tactics. And it was that reason why we invited him to join us for conversation earlier this week. Hi, Jay. Thanks for making time for us. I'm glad that you chose me. (laughs) Do you want to start off by introducing yourself a little bit to the audience? Talk a little bit about your journey through the real estate business and how you ended up where you ended up? Sure. At the end of the day, though, when I do say this or when I'm asked this question, what I want everyone to remember is at the end, I'm just a guy trying to feed his family. (laughs) <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Most of it just happens because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I, and I want to make sure that, you know, I keep doing the best that I can. Being the best version of myself is really what it comes down to. And all of us have that within ourselves. We just want the best version of ourselves to exist. I, I say all this to say that um, when you're clear on what you're fighting for, you, you might surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Meaning in in my case, uh, I I started with a credit score of 398. Uh, We were squatting in bank owned property. My wife was unable to eat or drink at the time because of the condition that she had. I had a punctured lung, couldn't walk and talk at the same time without fainting. And when you're fighting for things like food and shelter, uh, you, you might do something that's out of character for you. And in this case, for me, it was um, going to to start in the real estate world. I mean, a friend said <laughs> you needed to become a real estate investor. And I looked at him kind of funny because it didn't make sense. At the time, I was uh, selling our personal possessions on eBay. And uh, when we ran out of stuff, I started going to retail stores. This was back when CompUSA, for those of you who might remember that store, was going out of business. So I started buying their inventory at a discount and reselling it on eBay uh, for a slightly higher price, but still at a discount. And for those of you familiar with real estate, you know that that's also what wholesalers do. And that's when I found out that I could do the same thing uh, with wholesaling. And I was like, what? No one told me this. And really long story short, did about 200 of those transactions in a really, really tight uh, span of time. And that began, that put me in a different tax bracket, which then said, oh, I need to keep property, uh, which then I got bored with buying one property at a time. So I started buying multiple houses at a time and then I got bored with that. So I started buying notes Then I had a whole bunch of notes. Then I got bored with that. Then I started buying buildings, um, uh, apartment buildings, and then didn't really get bored with apartment buildings, but I still wanted to try more things. So we bought commercial buildings and a cell phone tower. And um, now we we primarily focus on the short term rental space. um, And that's pretty much where where we've landed. When you say short term, how long is that for you? The systems that we've set up uh, allow us to be efficient uh, on as short as one day. Uh, and I think our longest has been about 187 days. So mm-hmm. so what's that look like? Could you kind of give 
an idea of yeah well i mean in its simplest form it's what you what a buy and hold investor does is uh, we we just do that in a more efficient manner so here's what i mean by this uh, a buy and hold investor what he or she what you're out there what what you're doing is you're selling time because time is your inventory you're selling time but you're packaging it poorly you you sell the whole year with a payment plan of every 30 days and what we say is, instead of selling the whole year, how can I be efficient and sell each day for its maximum value? And, and that's really what it comes down to uh, at the end of the day. That's the business model. So does that make sense? Yeah, short-term rental, like Airbnb might be uh, an example of a short-term rental. That's the, that is a marketplace where our customers can come from for sure. But and and that's one of the things is is people try to conflate the two and go is it an Airbnb business? I'm like no, it's a marketplace. I mean it's a customer acquisition channel. Uh, just like you know if you went to Best Buy, they they have a, uh, a a way to acquire their customers to come buy the property, just as like they have many different suppliers for their televisions or any of their products. So they don't just carry Apple; they also carry you know Acer and other manufacturers of computers as as well because it, that would be silly for them to only have one source same thing for us we don't you, you can't build a business on one source of customers right and what kind what what's your ideal property that you're currently bringing in for this short term rental Got it. business for um and that <laughs> and this and this is what I, I i spend most of my time telling people especially who have deep experience in the real estate world that it's really it's not about the property it's about the experience that they can have at the property so i'm still after apartment buildings um but I, and you can take it i can take the same apartment building regardless of location and turn it into a short-term rental i just have to market it to a completely different demographic of individuals so it for myself right now what i love are the studios and the one bedroom apartments those work best uh for this particular model so apartment buildings that have that as their unit mix uh, is kind of our bread and butter for sure what would be some uh commonalities in the tenants that you bring into these spaces um so for us um again having been in the space for a while i've identified 45 different types of customers or use cases for this particular type of real estate we tend to focus on um business travelers um and because again as i've said to people before uh, when you're trying to figure out where to focus your business, always start with a customer that you're the most like. It's easier. <laughs> and, and in my world, when I'm traveling, I'm I'm the business traveler. Uh, that makes sense. So that was easy. Plus, I have uh, four children. And so when we travel, uh, you know, traveling with small kids, that's a <laughs> that's an event. That's a feat and a thing. So we focus there. And then we also uh, do a lot of work with those who are traveling for medical reasons, whether that be, you know, a, a therapist of some kind or mental health professional, or maybe it's something like plastic surgery, or it could be a children's hospital, all of those things. Those are the three customer types that we serve the best and where we tend to focus our time. So is, is this kind of like an extended stay type of mm -hmm. business? And yeah. do you charge by the day, by the week, by the month, you have different options for people? Yeah, we break it down, but most of most people get a daily rate because uh, it. But when the corporations come and talk to us, you know, hey, my like this happens a lot because we have some of our locations near some studios up in uh, L.A. Uh, so they'll have their team come and sit for a shoot or, or whatever, and, and so that 
it can take some time before they're done shooting and editing audio. We get a lot of audio guys for whatever reason, but anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, it works in that way. All right. And is it, um, is it very similar to a hotel experience that these people have or is there a big difference? No, that's where the differences start. It's, it's because the hotels are providing us something completely different. That that's really what we've got to nail down here. It's not the same. Um, the, it, it, for a lack of a better way of putting it, it's more like your house or where you currently live or your home where you currently live. At least that's what we shoot for. Uh, because, uh, I don't know about you, but last time I went to a hotel, the Wi-Fi was horrible and it was a pretty big challenge, uh, just to even do something as simple as eat food or cook, eat decently when you travel, uh, by virtue of the fact that all of our locations will have a kitchen. Um, and the, the fact that obviously we are providing additional services that you, you normally would not be able to have access to, or, or just better quality services. It, it's a completely different experience and it's a completely different environment than what many of the, uh, hotel what you might experience at right. a hotel are you looking at vacation um destinations or is this no you don't you don't have to um i don't personally prefer to serve the vacation people <laughs> they are by far some of the um um most demanding customer types to to serve that i mean you it doesn't mean you can't doesn't mean they're not profitable it just means not the one that we prefer. Right. And how long are these typical stays for people? Do you have kind of 5.6 days? Oh, that's it. Oh, wow. And, and what would be like if you were to take, um, do you have a vacancy rate across the board? About 8%. 8%. So that would be vacant 8% of the year per unit. Do I have that? About correct. Yes, correct. So you'd probably miss correct. about a month. They go empty for a month. Yes. And then um, it's a lot more efficient if you have a lot of units in the same general vicinity, I would imagine, correct? Yeah. Having grown up in the business as a long-term landlord, uh, I mean, the concept of clustering isn't new. Uh, if you're going to build any business you and you want to reap benefits from the economies of scale, et cetera, being in a similar location is important. But also... Um, the the most profitable customer is the repeat customer and which is true for any business and the best way to do that is again to have multiple locations in the the same general area not uh, well mostly so that you can create the same experience from location to location the view out the window can be different but when i cross your threshold do i have the do i does it feel the same does it uh feel like you know the the last time i stayed here because when we're working say for example we work with some universities uh and their professors well when the professor comes to town we don't want him to care which unit is available. We just know that whatever unit, if we have one available, we want him to to take that one because it's going to be a very similar experience than what he experienced last time he was here. You must collect a lot of emails and phone numbers and, and have a book of business, I would imagine. So you market to these people consistently and they stay within your within your business, correct? Yeah, there. I mean, that's the whole point. The, the whole point is to use your acquisition channel like any other business model, right? You you have an acquisition channel that acquires that helps you acquire your customers. I mean, if you ran a television ad, you're you're trying to acquire customers, a radio ad, whatever. But once you've acquired that customer, it's like what what is your value ladder to be able to actually 
maximize uh, the long-term customer value uh, that you are actually generating. If we could just go back to the beginning, you said that <laughs> sure. um, you started out wholesaling properties and you did about 200 of those and that yeah. was kind of your intro into the business? Correct. Uh, wholesaling was how we got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did that business look like? How did it look like when you when you first got started? How did you acquire properties? Got it. And um, how did that kind of feed into the rest of your uh, real estate career? For me, I was um, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know about technology and tools. And uh, honestly, a lot of it didn't even exist. So there wasn't the ability uh, for me to go, you know, buy an email list or something of that nature. Uh, I did it the probably the most old fashioned way possible. Um, at, and I wish I was exaggerating when I say this because, um, it, it, I learned a lot doing it this way though. Um, I started with the, uh, phone book. I literally started at the letter a and just started calling people, uh, because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't, I was complaining to the, my mentors at the time I had no leads. He's like, there's a phone book, call it. I'm like, Okay, call it. <laughs> now I, you go from that to starting up. Uh, what I would do is uh, from 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, I would pass out flyers. Uh, I didn't have, again, you got to understand the situation, didn't have any resources or money, but I, I could scrape together enough dollars to get some cardboard paper. But then I had to print the flyers. So I went over to Kinko's and then we had to cut them and we cut them by hand. And then we had to distribute them and we distributed them. Uh, well, I <laughs> distributed them walking and, and placing them on cars at night so that when people got up to go to work the next day, they could have an 800 number to call. And, and, and that's what it did. That eventually evolved uh, into, or into just going to networking groups. Like, for example, the script that I would use is, you know, hi, my name is Jay. Um, I'm a wholesaler. What that means is that I buy property at a discount and I sell property at a discount. What type of investing are you looking to do? That was it. That was my magic. And I rode that pony to build the database uh, of buyers and sellers. Uh, and then what happened, what really unlocked everything for me was understanding that uh, retirement plans. Uh, could actually be self-directed, et cetera. And that's where I found the majority of my buyers. Uh, and then the, by learning creative acquisition techniques, using purchase money mortgages uh, and you know uh, contracts for deed, et cetera, uh, I was able to give non-recourse financing to these uh, retirement plans. And that began, that, that's, that's how I did it, is I would actually structure the financing so that they could buy it. Um, as well. And at the end of the day, it, it, you know, lots of transactions got done. Yeah. How, what was the time frame? How long did it take you to do those first 200 deals? We started averaging around 72 hours, uh, to close a transaction. Cause it was just, again, that type of financing with, uh, with a, a property or with a self-directed retirement plan was very, very easy to do. It, it became more <laughs> of a hassle just doing all the, the waiting for title, uh, most of the time more than anything. Oh yeah. I mean, how many years was that? Like a two year oh, period? My bad. 200. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, it was about two years. It was about oh, two wow. years. And then from there, did you continue wholesaling or did you make no. a quick shift? Uh, what happened is <laughs> I had, I was, I was, um, complaining, uh, or slash being educated on how taxes work. Uh, because the, you know, when you're, 
doing that many transactions. Um, it, it, it changed the outlook of, of everything. And then I'm like, well, where's that money going and why, why do I have to give it to him? You know, him being the government. Um, I I don't want to do that. What can I do about it? And the advice that I was given was that, well, now you need to hold property. I was like, I see. And then I was like, well, how you do that? <laughs> so that's that's pretty much how how I roll. It's like, you know, I just in time learning. That's what I care about. I don't need to know until I need to know. And then once I need to know, it's time to go and make it happen. And that's basically what uh, that's what I did. I just started building a portfolio as quickly as humanly possible because I didn't want to have to pay taxes if there was a way since there was a way around it. I was like, cool, I got to own more property. How many do I need? And and that's how we ended up with hundreds of doors. Hundreds of doors. And, and were those single families or three and four units? How did you um, get into the rental game? At, I started with single family houses. I got tired of single family houses because it just seemed like an inefficient use of time um, for me. And then um, I went into, like I said, I went into notes and then I was like, well, that still has the same tax problem because I couldn't get the depreciation, um, cash flow, wonderful, but still tax problem. And then we went over to apartment buildings, uh, and that was a much more efficient use of, of time. Cause I could put in the same, what felt like to be a, a similar amount of effort, uh, but have way more results. So we would buy anything from eight, uh, units to as large as 182 units. Yeah. And how much more profitable is it doing this short term um, rental business as opposed to a long term strategy with the tenants? Got it. Um, it is in <laughs> it's in it, it was unbelievable uh, at first. Um, if I wasn't doing it myself, I, I would still have trouble believing it. But um, like many landlords will know, uh, it's a great business. Landlording is a great business to build wealth. It is not exactly that great for your income um, until the debt service is gone. Once debt service is gone, then you're, you're working in a completely different frame of mind. Uh, otherwise, you're making the you know, choice between cash flow versus deferred maintenance all day long. And what happens here is you take your same, you know, uh, expense ratios that you're currently used to and increase it maybe five, maybe 10%. All right. But the amount of income that you can earn uh, from a revenue standpoint literally doubles. So take whatever property you're thinking of right now, add 10% of whatever your monthly run rate on your expenses are, add 10% to that number. But at the same time, double the income, and that's your new net operating income. And that's that's kind of where you start. I mean, and that's when you don't really understand what you're doing. And when I put that together, I was like, well, why aren't more people talking about this? I mean, that that's honestly what happened is I, I built a portfolio really quickly uh, of short-term rentals. And I was like, I got to start telling people. And that's why that's what we've been doing for the past couple of years is helping entrepreneurs make that transition. A lot of them having been long-term landlords who are now like, why wasn't I doing this earlier? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I didn't know about it either. And, and it's putting them in a position to either retire the debt service or for the first time being able to take reliable cash flow and upkeep the building at the same time. It's like a whole new experience. 
Yeah, and that completely changes the cap rate and what you can pay for a property. Since you can, I, I would imagine there's not a lot of people coming in with that mindset to buy the property and to turn up the. No, no, not at rating. all. Not enough people. Not yet. It it, it is changing, um, and and that's. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So is there an appetite for? institutional lenders to buy these types of properties from you? Yeah, are, are they investing in these? You 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 hit the nail on the head um, right there. It's it, There is no packaged product right now um, at, at this particular moment. However, uh, working either with some direct sources or insurance companies, you can probably cobble something together. Um, and the the individuals that I've dealt with are way more open on a refinance strategy than they are on a purchase strategy. And what so what we've begun to do is uh, we'll say, for example, let's pretend a, a, a an uh, apartment owner uh, right now somewhere, you know, 10, 20 units, whatever. He's in the proper prop. He's in the property for whatever he's in the property for, but he's in the process of also rehabbing it. So he's like 100 percent vacant. Uh, I have been known to say to that landlord or that owner, hey, uh, I will lease your entire building. Um, and that that works because they go from zero to 100 percent occupancy immediately. We do our thing. He gets his rent. Um, and at the end of the day, I can then now take those numbers for the past 12 months uh, to a financial institution and say, hey, based upon our management experience here, Here's what we'd like you to do. We would like to be able to buy this building from said landlord um, based upon these numbers. I haven't gotten anybody to give me full credit for the extra revenue, but I can I can get credit for my market rate rent plus a little bit extra, which is great, uh, which is great enough uh, for us uh, at the end of the day. So uh, it's coming. It's not there yet. It's coming. And I'm excited for it to actually come to the marketplace. That's a long ways from squatting in a foreclosure, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I tell people like, look, don't get totally all, you know, though. Yeah, I'm just trying to feed my family. I got four kids, one in college, and I'm just trying to be a father. And all of this other stuff happened along the way. I, I, I'm fighting for food. I mean, if you're familiar with like, there's two movies, Cinderella Man and The Pursuit of Happiness. And if you are familiar with Charles Gardner or James Braddock, those are the two central characters. If you're familiar with either one of their lives, if you mix those two lives together, you got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really where it comes from. And how all long, I'm trying to do is feed the how family. Long were you at, how long were you squatting? Oh, uh, seven to eight. Uh, I'm going to go 10 months. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And then one day we got the notice that the police were coming and we we're like, OK, we got to really do something now because we, we ran out of places to run to anyway. And it was, yeah, man, I yeah, not exactly. I, you know, it's one of those things where you don't realize that you're being trained for a a, a, a future that is that is there for you. But you got to persevere and be willing to go through and most importantly, grow through that process as well. 
How right. did you make the, that very first step that from going from be, essentially being penniless to being able to invest in your first property or set of properties? How did you get there? Because that's a, that, that's the biggest step, right? For a lot of guys, maybe in a similar position that want to get into this kind of business. Where do you get the capital? Well, and that's see, there it is that you 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 did it. You said it right there. I, I had to disassociate myself from focusing on what I didn't have. That's really what it comes down to. I had to really, really grasp this, the following concept, for example. Uh, and, and again, Danny or Brian, either one of you, you can answer this. Let me ask you this question. The last time you went to your doctor, for whatever reason you went, uh, did you ask him or her what school they went to? No, no, no. OK. Did you ask them what their credit score was? No. Mm-mm. Did you ask them if they did you even ask them if they knew what they were doing? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You, you and you know why you didn't do that? Because you had a problem and they looked and sounded enough like the part that you go. They obviously do. They wouldn't be here otherwise. Right. And you needed a solution. So my point is, it's not about the doctor. Just like when someone's trying to start in real estate, we always think it's about what my resources are. No, it's not about you. It's about the other person's problem. Can you solve it? And in my world, I had to, like I said, disassociate. I could not focus on what I did not have. I did not have money. I did not have credit. I did not have a pedigree that said you should become a real estate investor. I have a PhD, public high school diploma. That's what I got. And I got to take that to the marketplace and solve people's problems. And in this particular case, I understood two things. People with money had a problem. The problem was money becomes worth less over time. So they got to do something with it. Number one. Number two, people with property had a problem occasionally. And sometimes that problem was I need to get rid of the property or somebody died or something happened to where that property is now a problem. And I knew if I learned how to find both of those people and create a situation in which they solved each other's problems, I could earn some money. And that's what I focused on. And then during the day, I would focus on that. And then at home, I'd focus on how are we going to keep on the electricity today? Because I don't know just yet. Well, I was just wondering what, when you realized, after struggling for so long, when you realized, oh, this may, maybe this is going to work. Like, did you have a moment where you realized, oh, I think I might be able to get out of this using this? Dude, real- I was freaking out. I'm sure you were. You don't, I mean, you, cause I've been told all my life, if you have a, a foreclosure or if you have a, a, all this stuff, credit, low credit score, if you don't have money, you can't buy a property. You got to understand on June 18th, 2008, I am standing with the deed to a property in my hand that I purchased from a lady who was in foreclosure and I was still squatting in property myself. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, what is this? This is not supposed to happen at all. Okay, but I have the deed to a property. I have workmen and construction people who are rehabbing my property so somebody else can live in it. And I'm going to collect two hundred dollars a month of rent or net after the property manager and all the fees and whatnot. And I'm like, 
huh? That messed me up for a while. Okay. Messed me up for a while. And, but it got me to question if everything I thought was true actually wasn't. And I've been operating as if it was, what else isn't true? What other errors in, in, in judgment and operation have I been making? Let's go. And, and what can somebody tell me what else can't I do? I can't do what? Okay. I'll be right back. And it started this process of me going out there to do anything people told me I could not do. Mm. And it is- they're like, you got lucky. Cool. Three weeks later, I did another 11 transactions. Well, sure. You did it with single. You can't do it again. So I did it again. And then they said, well, that's great. You can do it with single family houses. You can't do it with apartment buildings. Watch. Then they're like, okay, well, now you have a tax problem. What are you going to do now? <laughs> Watch this. And, and I mean, that's literally what happened. Time after time after time, it reveals it, it reveals how much and how important just having just a modicum of confidence is to be able to to succeed. Um, when you're down on your luck, it's really hard just to get that little bit of confidence to try and get back on your feet. But uh, I think that's kind of the biggest and hardest struggle. Well, well, let me tell you how to make that happen for everybody today, because this is and I I'm no exaggeration. This is exactly what I did. Because um, you're right. You've got to build uh, that there's success goes on a cycle and, and if and, and no success also goes on a cycle. But to build that that success, success is built on on consecutive keywords, consecutive positive experiences. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't even matter how big the experience is. What matters is that you give yourself permission, not somebody else. You give yourself permission to call it success. So what most of us do as humans is what we make success too difficult. We go, huh, once I'm able to drive a Lamborghini, then I am successful. Once I am able to complete college, then I am successful. Once I have earned $100,000 a month, then I am successful. That's what we say. Well, therefore, the converse is also true. If we haven't done any of those things today, then we go, I'm not successful. And that starts down this other way. I learned to make success easy. And here's what I mean. You got to understand, like I said, the situation I was in, I had to make success easy. It became, I remembered to brush my teeth today because let's just say depression and discouragement were huge. So brushing your teeth is not exactly your priority, but hey, I'm successful because I learned, I I brushed my teeth today. I'm successful because I got out of bed Today, I'm successful because I asked one person, one person, I was doing a little bit of prospecting and I started there. That's really where I started. And I made success easy so that I could at least feel good about some of the decisions that I was making. And I didn't care that other people didn't see any of those things as success traits or characteristics. It didn't matter to me. They weren't living in my skin, my experience, they weren't paying my bills. <laughs> Neither was I, but <laughs> they weren't paying my bills. And at the end of the day, I built from there. It got to the point to where one of the things I still tell people is like, if you're trying to build your business or anything, one of the things you must do is you got to invite people to see what you're doing, right? So five yeses a day keeps poverty away, meaning you get five people, five people every day to say, yes, I will come see what you are doing. You make five real appointments to show your plan, what you are doing. You do that every day. 
you're going to get really good at a lot of things from lead generation to figuring sales to the presentations. And, and in 60 to 90 days, you're going to have a completely different business and experience than what you've experienced prior. You can learn more about Jay Massey by going to his website, cashflowdiary.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate the podcast at Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next week.